Welcome to In the Seams, a podcast by Broken and Mended with your host, David Heflin. Okay, I want to welcome you back to In the Seams, and uh, this will be our last podcast that we record for this year. So I want to wish everyone a uh, Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, and all that. Uh, In the Seams will be back in the new year, and hopefully we'll be a little bit more consistent in recording, uh, but uh, I'm just kind of proud that we've been able to do this here twice in the last uh, in the last month, and that would be a good goal, I think, for us going forward. Uh, I want to let you know what we're going to be talking about today. I have Bethany Honecker on our uh, podcast, and she is already as associated with Broken and Mended. In fact, you can find her on our website. Uh, there's a short bio there about her and her work with Broken and Mended. Uh, Bethany spent part of her childhood in Kenya and so became a, a, a natural uh, person, at least for me, uh, to ask to to come in and help me with uh, the work we're doing there, and Bethany was willing to do that. And uh, so, Bethany, I want to just uh, you know welcome you to in the seams, and uh, just uh, glad to have you here. Thank you for having me. And we're going to be talking with Bethany about her own story and some of the things um, that have been costly uh, to her, particularly how her dreams and her life have changed because of chronic illness. And uh, this is part of a a bigger project, Uh, you know, so the podcast in itself is valuable, but it's also part of something else I'm working on, um, which I'm not not ready to go public with it at this particular point, but these conversations are part of, I'll tell you this much, um, acknowledging what we have lost to chronic illness, to be very real and honest about that. Because I think sometimes, or maybe all the time, that's the only way that we can move move forward uh, in our life. We still have a life to live, and we still have purpose in that life. But a lot of times we can't get to that if we're still hung up on uh, not acknowledging what has taken place in, in our stories. Uh, Bethany, before we get into that, I do want to ask uh, a little bit, just because you're actually closer to the situation than I am. Uh, how is the work in, in Kenya going with Broken and Mended and the support groups there, you know, kind of a ballpark of, of how many groups we have? And just kind of give us a little update on your work in that regard. Yeah, so the work in Kenya is um, very exciting, growing, I would say, exponentially. Um, the Kenyan culture very openly welcomes the idea of support and encouragement and literacy and togetherness. And so um, I think the resources that Broken Amended is providing to the different churches has really made a difference for them in encouraging their members. Um, When I first started, we had maybe about 30 or 40 groups on the ground. Um, Currently, we are closer to probably 100 groups with many on the wait list waiting for resources. And they are texting me almost every day asking me if I have an update, um, asking me um, what else they can do, and sharing pictures of the work, which is just very exciting. Yeah, they're good about sending pictures. And I know that they're excited about what they're getting to do there. And, you know, I think uh, it's it's only going to grow more as we're working on a Swahili translation that may be available uh, as early as, as January. 
And, and so that's going to be another tool that we can um, put in their hands and Lord willing. Um, and this is all in, you know, process. Uh, we may be going to Kenya this, uh, later this, this summer or next summer, I guess I should say, uh, since it's not, we're not turned to the new year yet, but, um, and be able to, to get to meet some of these people in person. And I, I just would think that would only uh, continue to en- enhance the work, not only numerically the growth, but the, you know, the, the quality of the relationship and the, the, the depth of, you know, meeting people in, in their suffering. And so, yeah, thank you, Bethany, for your willingness to serve uh, in that capacity. It has been an amazing blessing, I know, to me uh, and to Broken Amended as a whole. Um, I do want to get into your story a little bit because that's why we're here. And I wondered uh, if you could tell us a little bit uh, just about what your life was like before chronic illness and what your aspirations were and maybe bring us up to the point in which that chronic illness uh, entered into your life. Yeah, so I, um, I've i had symptoms since I was a child, but when you're a child, you don't know that what you're experiencing isn't normal, and so you don't think much about it, right? You just continue to go about your day and enjoy being a child. Um, I was raised as a missionary kid, raised overseas, and um, as I entered into high school and college, my kind of dream for my life was that I was going to go back overseas and was going to do missionary work. And so I went to a Christian college. I got a nursing degree. I married a preacher from the college. um, And we kind of started down that pathway of, you know, what can we do to prepare ourselves for for going overseas and ministering to people? Um, During that time, during those first couple of years, as we were preparing, I had my first child. And in during the pregnancy, I actually had to quit work because that's when I really started to have a lot of my own symptoms that were more debilitating, um, more fatigue, more pain, that sort of thing. Um, and my first child was born with a congenital defect, um, which kind of that then stopped us to start re- you know relooking at everything in our life to say, all right, what pathway does the Lord want us to go forward? And at that time, there was a lot anticipated for her, a lot of um, future treatments and surgeries and things like that, that really kind of made it to where we felt like we needed to stay in a country that could provide that for her. We felt that our our first priority was to our family that God has given us. Um, and so we, we kind of reshifted in that capacity and my husband went back to school to get another um, license in computer support so that he could get another job to help support our family. And um, I continued to work in nursing, but it funny enough, over the years that I worked as a nurse, um, as symptoms progressed, I had to keep shifting. So I started off working in a med surge floor, and that's when I started having just debilitating low back pain and couldn't, I couldn't lift patients anymore. And so I shifted to working in an ICU, had my second pregnancy, and during that, again, symptoms progressed because hormones are a big kind of trigger for Ehlers-Danlos, and I I couldn't work bedside anymore at that point. And so I shifted again after she was born to working in a physician's office, and that suited really well, Um, but then we had to move just for a lot of different reasons to another state to be with family. And at that time, I shifted into a role as a nurse educator um, and eventually as a transplant coordinator. So kind of multiple shifts um, throughout the first several years of our marriage and the early years of our kids' life. Um, 
the last, I'd say, of the last 12 years, 10 of those years, I continued to work as a transplant coordinator caring for uh, kidney patients after they'd gotten a kidney transplant. And during those 10 years is when I really felt like I had found kind of the place where I could minister to other people, um, just developing those long-term relationships, getting involved in their lives, making a difference, helping improve their quality of life. But it's something that I could continue to do despite all of the the joint issues and the pain and the fatigue and the other symptoms. Um, when COVID hit, uh, of course, everything got harder. And I, again, got to the point with my health where I wasn't sure I could continue anymore because um, one of the responsibilities of a transplant coordinator is to be on call and to be on call. I could be up, you know, all weekend long and then expected to be back in the office and I couldn't do it anymore. It was just too much. Um, that was probably the hardest transition for me because I felt like I had finally found the place where the Lord wanted me and the place where I could serve, um, in addition to being able to care for my family, but I couldn't do it anymore. And the, the symptoms and the health issues, I felt like had taken that away from me, um, but also made it to where I couldn't support my family in the way I wanted to either financially. So it was a very hard transition. I actually worked with a uh, a Christian trauma therapist. She happened to be a pastor's wife and happened to be married to a spouse who had a muscular disorder. And so it's just the perfect fit for me during that time to help me kind of come to terms with that. Because one of the things as you go through that, that you have to deal with is the guilt of feeling like a failure, that I've let my family down, I've let my patients down, you know, so many people in my life who need me that I can't care for in the way that I wanted to. And so she helped me come to realize that it's important to care for yourself because self-care is caring for other people. Um, Self-care, keeping yourself strong and yourself healthy allows you to continue to minister to others. And so during that kind of year that I worked with her, I transitioned and took a job. I now work for a large medical insurance company, and I do nursing case management. Um, I take care of transplant patients. Um, so, But now I'm on the authorization side of things and more the education side of things. Um, and because of my role, I also do a lot of authorizations for non-transplant related services. And ironically enough, I am the pain management expert on my team. Anytime they get requests for injections and the clinicals aren't clear, they'll say, hey, Bethany, will you look at this? Because I'm not sure if this is appropriate or not, but you know the lingo. And I do because I've pretty much had every of these injections done to myself. Um, So yeah, that's kind of where I'm at now. And um, I... Though I feel like a lot has been taken away, I also feel like the Lord has been there kind of gently guiding and leading to where he wanted me to be in each place and time. Well, thank you for for sharing that. I I jotted down a couple of things I wanted to kind of circle back to, if I could, in your story. Um, And uh, first, I just want to get uh, the the disease that you have, Ehlers-Durlis, how do you say that? So I have hypermobile Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. Danlos. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yep. It's a genetic condition. It's a connective tissue disorder. Um, Basically, when you're born, you're born with your system being a little bit laxer than it should be. 
And that means your joints can be hypermobile and you can have problems with other systems in the body too, skin and gut and heart and all of those things as well. Very systemic. So, yes. And again, like I can look back and see that I had symptoms as a child, but didn't really know that I wasn't normal until one day one of the kidney doctors I worked with says, hey, Bethany, that's not normal. You need to get that checked out. And after a very long diagnostic odyssey, I was able to to get that formal diagnosis. Well, and that kind of uh, diagnostic odyssey that you talk about, I know is something a lot of people can relate to. And also it can be relieving, uh, even if what you find out you have is going to be a lifelong, you know, illness and struggle. I know it can be relieving just to get a diagnosis. Uh, I think it can be affirming that, okay, am I crazy? And I, I really do have uh, a very real issue going on. Not if, And if you don't get a diagnosis, uh, that's, you're also not crazy, but you may, people may see you that way or that you may feel that way at times because you just want to get, at least be able to name it. Um, that was helpful to me. I didn't have a very long journey to diagnosis in my particular situation, um, but I have heard a lot of people that have, and I know that's that's part of the struggle too. Uh, another thing I think people can relate to from your story, and I, I did at certain points as well, uh, is kind of this path you think, well, this is where God wants me to go. And you start off down that path and you find fulfillment in that path, and then find out at least to continue it becomes a you know a dead end, and that can be that can be very uh, faith uh, destabilizing in a way I think because you I don't want to I don't know I'll let you say it for yourself did you feel that God had misled you or that you had just read the the sign wrong or how how did you feel in the moment when you were dealing with that. Yeah, this is the part where I, want, I think God wants me to go, and then that ended up not being the case, at least long term. Yeah, I can think of multiple times in my life where that has happened. Um, I think initially you feel very um, afraid. Um, you feel depressed. You feel lost. You feel confused. Just so many different emotions to kind of be like, like, wait a second, I thought this is what you wanted me to do, Lord. Like, why is all of this changing? Like, did I do something wrong? Did I misunderstand you? Did I not do the right thing? Like, have I let you down? I think, again, when you're dealing with chronic illness, there's that constant feeling of it being your fault, that it's your body or or your disease, that you're the one that you're the one at fault, that your family or the people around you can't do what they want to do or, or do what they need to do because you're holding them back or, or you're limiting them. And I think sometimes even letting God down, you know, like, I'm sorry, Lord, I, I wasn't strong enough to do what you wanted me to do, or I wasn't, I didn't, you know, I didn't do the right things or take the right medicine or whatever. Just that a, a lot of guilt, a lot of grief, a lot of confusion. It's, it's, it's hard. Um, and definitely why I mentioned that I worked with a, a chronic disease therapist because it, those moments are tough and you really need support to help you work through all the different kind of feelings and thoughts to get to kind of a better place. Yeah. Uh, and I, I'm going to come back to the therapy uh, part of your story and just, uh, you know, cause I think that's an important point. I don't want to miss that. Uh, but I do want to say, you know, I think um, people maybe that don't have chronic illness or chronic uh, chronic condition don't realize the amount of decisions that you have to make as a patient. Um, and that causes sometimes you to have 
lot of self-doubt, you know, and so um, the doctor you choose, the the approach you choose with that doctor, the medicines you choose, and it always leaves this kind of second guessing. Uh, could we, should we have done this? Was I, or sometimes I think, was I too eager to to just do what the doctor uh, said and should I have considered other, you know, other choices. And, and so, you know, if, if people are listening to this, that haven't been through this, they may be wondering, well, how could you think, you know, anything's your, your fault. Um, and ultimately we know it's not right. I mean, logically, but I think emotionally, you know, we feel that the baggage really of every decision that has to be made and always kind of the second guessing that's going on. And, and that, that is a lot. And so I did want to, you know, bring up the counseling again, because um, I wonder, I don't, I don't have any stats on this. So I don't know how many people dealing with chronic conditions have also uh, been to counseling or seen a therapist. Uh, I have, um, you know, a, a few times in my life, I've had kind of two different seasons where I was going regularly uh, to a therapist. And for me, it was just dealing with the depression uh, and the way that just takes your, really just your, your zest for life away when you're, when you're going through it. Uh, and so what would you say to someone, uh, that was struggling with that decision or whether they should go to see a therapist or, or see a counselor? Well, first off, I'd say that it's not your fault. Um, I think that there are some Christian circles that, feel like if you just prayed more and had more faith you wouldn't you wouldn't need that or you wouldn't feel like that and that's just not the case um you know there's biological reasons when we struggle with anxiety and depression and and other mental health issues so that's what i would first say is don't don't let others tell you there's something wrong with you or you're not a good christian because you you need that um second would be to to reach out and to keep reaching out like i when I first started going to therapy, I, I used a, a company online and it was a couple of therapists before I found one that, that I meshed with. You know, the first couple of people just weren't a good fit until I happened to find this lady who I believe was a godsend for me. Um, so don't, don't hesitate to keep asking and to keep looking because you deserve to have someone in your life, someone who listens, someone who believes, and someone who can help you kind of work through all of the the different challenges that you're dealing with. Yeah. Um, you know, I know that for my own experience and my own evaluation of myself, I thought, and this, this is going to sound kind of arrogant. Maybe I was, you know, that I was so good, so analytical that I could process everything myself. I wasn't with a counselor probably more than five minutes before I realized how important that outside voice was, especially a trained, uh, you know, a professional uh, that could give me insight into things that I was, I had not even thought about and connections that I had not even, you know, not even made. And so, you know, I, I really needed it so much more than I realized. Uh, and it helped me, like you said, it just helped me to work through some of the, you know, just the, the, the trauma, the struggle of that chronic illness and chronic pain brings. Um, I mean, it does, it reshapes what, what our life looks like. And it, it takes away so much of our uh, self-determination and, and maybe that's an illusion anyway, but while we're living in that illusion, you know, it, we feel like we can determine uh, even, even if we're trying to be responsive to God's calling in our life, uh, we still feel like we have a role in choosing that and, and following, you know, that path. And so to be put into a position 
uh, where we, we have this loss of control or maybe the loss of the illusion of control, either way, I think is something that you're going to need some help working through. And I, I really do want to encourage more people uh, to, to seek out uh, that kind of, of help. And I know that it's, it can be a struggle financially, depends on what your insurance will cover and, uh, and all that. And so I, I recognize um, that there may be some obstacles, but I think uh, it's worth overcoming those obstacles, uh, you, you know, other than just to give in to um, really a, a situation where you can't get help or won't get help. And so uh, that's something uh, Tim Gunnell's another guy that's on our board. And we specifically talked last time about uh, men and chronic illness and chronic pain, because men are even more reluctant to go and talk to a counselor uh, or even sometimes go to the doctor. You know, chronic illness is going to make you go to the doctor eventually, uh, but uh, really trying to encourage people to reach out and get help. And so if you're a man listening to this episode, I would encourage you to go back, listen to that previous episode as well. I, I think Tim and I had a really great conversation about what is a uh, kind of a particular um, problem uh, with in chronic illness circles, and that is men trying to just do everything on their own and not admit to any weakness. But that can be a problem for women too. Um, and women can also feel like they, they got to solve it themselves. Did it take you a while to get to that point where you were willing to seek out that kind of help? I definitely had to get to a very low point before I was willing to accept that. I I think being a nurse and being a Christian, you feel like you should have all, I feel like I should have all the tools to deal with it, that I should be able to manage it on my own. But I just got to that place where, I don't know, the, the way that I describe it is I felt like the weight of the world was on me and needed me and I had nothing left to give. I was, I was empty. I was completely out of any, any resources whatsoever for anyone. And that's when I realized, all right, something has to change because I can't like, there's nothing left of me anymore. Yeah. You touched on that in your kind of opening uh, story, you know, when you mentioned uh, self-care and how that becomes so critical uh, to us being able to help anyone else. You know, we, we first we're, we feel guilty because if we think, Oh, we got to go take care of ourselves that somehow we're doing something selfish. Uh, but we learn and I think counselors do help uh, us, to, us to see this, but other people in our life can too, that taking care of yourself is essential if you're going to be able to help anyone else. And that is especially true if you're being drained by chronic illness and pain and, and, and all that comes with that. Um, and so how has emphasizing self-care put you in a better position to be able to to help others going forward or to be there for others going forward in, in kind of a, a new way uh, than you used to be able to? Well, something my counselor said is that was the turning point for me is that she talked about Jesus and how Jesus constantly had people who needed to be cared for, you know, people who are hungry, who are sick, you know, who needed to be poured into. And even Jesus had to take time away. You know, he had to go to the mountaintop and be alone and pray and take care of himself in order to continue caring for others. And that that was what really spoke to me and helped me realize, okay, this is what Jesus wants me to do and these are this is what I need to change. And that's what I think kind of 
was the 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 starting point for the recent job change for me you know working as a transplant coordinator i gave everything to care for those patients they were very sick they needed a lot of attention i could put in 50 60 70 hours a week um, in trying to keep them alive and healthy and i loved it but i i did nothing but give and never never look to my own my own needs i just would kind of well, let's slap a TENS unit on, a lidocaine patch, put the brace on and keep going, right? I just would throw more things at the symptoms and keep pushing through them until I kind of got to that that breaking point. And um, now what I'm doing at working for a health insurance company, it allows me to work from home. Um, I only have 40 hours a week. I'm not on call. And because I'm at home, I'm able to pace better. I'm able to um, to care for myself better, you know, not having to go into the office. I don't have to put makeup on if I don't want to, and that saves some time and energy in my day. That's just a little example. But um, it you can ask my husband. I, I'm a different person than I was before. I have more energy and time to give to my kids versus coming home completely wiped out, um, and we're able to do more together as a family. So in the in the moment you know it felt like chronic disease took away something that i loved but now looking back i can see the lord's hand in no wait caring for yourself is what's most important right now that's going to let you keep caring for others and let you enjoy better quality of life and that's what i want for you i want an abundant life for you yeah no that's that's very well said god does not expect us to give anything that he doesn't provide to us you know and um, we, there's an old hymn that reminded me of, you know, if, uh, that has the line, it's, uh, if just a cup of water I place within your hand and just a cup of water is all that I demand. And, and, you know, that, that's such a simple illustration of, of a profound truth, you know, that God is anything that we give to others is coming from him anyway. Uh, and so taking care of myself, which for Christian includes very much includes a spiritual connection with God and, and letting him, you know, fill us up. And you gave the great example of Jesus withdrawing to the lonely places to, to, to pray and to, to be with his father. Uh, so self-care includes uh, spiritual self-care. And, and I think of many examples in the Bible, actually, of people who do kind of get to their wits end and how God always responds to them with empathy. A, a big story to me is the story of Elijah and, you know, Elijah being on, on the run from Jezebel, uh, basically wanting to die. He's given all that he can. Uh, he feels like there's no one else faithful in the whole land. Uh, and not everything that Elijah believed was true. Uh, about about the situation, he had lost perspective. But God's gentleness in dealing with him, and you might remember uh, the story, of course, where he's on the mountain at Mount Sinai, and um, there's the I don't remember the exact order, but there's like the earthquake and, and the wind, and I, I think a fire, uh, and and it says that but God wasn't in wasn't in those, and God shows up in the, the gentle, uh, quiet whisper, you know, uh, and I think it reminds me how God sees our hurt, um, you know, and use another example that just kind of popped into my mind now, but I think about Hagar uh, and Hagar being, again, someone on, on the run and, and had just completely dry, literally. I mean, she was dying of thirst, she and her son and God coming to her rescue, uh, even though she was not uh, the mother of the covenant child, like Sarah was of Isaac, God sees her, he cares for her need in that situation. It shows us the heart of God. 
And I think we get it upside down when we think that God needs us instead of, you know, we need God, you know, and we, when we get to, to thinking that God needs us, that can lead us into some of those unhealthy um, places where we think we're letting God down, kind of like you talked about, you know, earlier in, in your story, um, you know, and I, I don't think we can let God down just because we are unable to do something because anything that we're, we can do comes from him anyway. Um, but uh, yeah, thank you for sh- elaborating on that. Um, I wanted to touch on another point in your story because you, and you did, you brought this up. It isn't just us that, are, that is affected uh, when, you know, in terms of our, our, when we get married, right, we're going to have uh, someone that we share dreams and with, and um, this happened with me and my wife as well, you know, that we had a way that we thought our life was going to look and it looks, you know, very different. Um, your husband was in ministry, has, was in preaching, and he ended up getting a, a different job, I think you said, in computers or and and I think and I'm not I, and you could elaborate on this if you want, but I mean, usually that has something to do in this situation with needing better uh, insurance coverage and, and things of that nature. You know, for me, Katie had to go and become a full time teacher for a while for that very reason, um, you know, and that was it wasn't an interruption of her dreams because I think she did intend to go teach uh, at some point, but it became absolutely vital to us to be able to survive financially. And if the situation were reversed, it could have been very easily me uh, having to leave ministry to go get, uh, you know, a job that would provide that kind of health care. So I just want to ask you how you guys have navigated that as a couple and how, you know, too much as you're willing to to share kind of how he's dealt with that if you could elaborate on that a little bit yeah i mean you're absolutely correct and the reason that he kind of shifted the focus of his career was to be able to better provide for our family um as i started to have more and more health challenges as our firstborn was born with the congenital defect she now has the the same condition Mm. i do she's been formally diagnosed as well and as we've gone through that over those first few years that was his first thought was, I have to provide for my family. And that's what the Lord has called me to do first and foremost. So he worked really hard. He went back to school. Um, He was working nights, stocking shelves at Walmart in order to pay bills. And then during the day he was going to school and uh, watching our toddler and did that for a couple of years um, to get his computer degree. um, And then slowly has been building that up. And his focus, if you ask him, has been, I want to get to a point where I can financially support my family so that if my wife can't work at all anymore, we're going to be okay and she's going to be covered with health insurance and, and so forth. So um, I'm very blessed. He is an amazing person. Um, he <laughs> he constantly goes out of his way to try to find ways to make my life easier and better um, and to make sure that we're taken care of at all times. Um, you asked about how we navigated a lot of that as a couple I think just constant open communication. Mm -hmm. We have had to make sure we talk about everything, every little thing, every big thing, every decision, every non-decision, just constantly keeping that that door of communication open as we have navigated every challenge, Um, making sure that we have kept the Lord kind of foremost in our marriage um, and staying connected to him as much as we have each other. Um, and then spending time, like we have to make sure 
that we don't just take care of the kids and do our jobs, that we also find time to do things fun together as a couple. So that means me learning to enjoy football and going to football games with him. And that means him learning to enjoy reading books and sometimes sitting on the couch and reading books with me. But making sure that life isn't consumed by all of the needs um, and that we still have that, that leisure time together. So I'd say those have been the two most important pieces for us. And really, that's good advice for any married couple. I, I just think the stresses of chronic illness and pain make it even more uh, vital that we have those open lines of communication. Uh, that way, both of you aren't thinking totally different things about the direction of things are going. And, and of course, that can lead to a lot of trouble. But it sounds like you have a beautiful marriage and a beautiful family. Um, and I know that can be a blessing and a place of reprieve for us in our struggles of with the chronic conditions. And, and in that, I know we may have listeners who don't have that strong support network or didn't have a, a spouse that stood by their side. And so we, we acknowledge that um, extreme difficulty uh, that you may be going through. Um, and all we can say is that, yes, we recognize that that is a blessing that not everyone has. And, you know, and that adds uh, yet another level of, of stress on your life. Um, and again, maybe even more of a reason to go and, and, and find help and talk to a counselor, a therapist that can, can help you navigate that. Uh, I actually want to correct something I said earlier, because I talked about your husband leaving ministry and really what he did was chose a ministry that he most needed to do in that situation, which was to, uh, to his family. Um, and, you know, and so, yes, he left professional ministry, uh, but, you know, and, and that I'm sure was costly. Uh, but on the other hand, I think when you said, you said this in your story that family, God wants us to prioritize our family. And when our family's in trouble, we got to take care of our family. Uh, and that applied to you and it applied to him. Uh, and I think that applies to all of us. And again, this kind of model of ministry that we had seen in the church where people sacrifice their families in order uh, to, to stay in ministry or to work long, long hours in ministry uh, it has led to a lot of bad bad things, but a lot of bad outcomes. And God wants us to take care of our, in fact, as we are told in Ephesians 5, uh, we're to love our, in this case, he's talking about to the husbands to love their wives as Christ loves the church. Um, he doesn't say put the church up above, uh, you know, your spouse, you know, and of course, in that same um, context, he's addressing both husbands and wives, but um, so what a beautiful picture of Christ's love for the church and how your husband has responded uh, in, in your story, in your journey. And it is your journey together anyway. It's not just your journey. And he's, you know what I mean? Uh, it's, it's a partnership. That's what we sign up for when we get married. It's what we want. We want to. And so we're in everything together. And so I thank you for, you know, for sharing that. Um, Bethany, is there anything else you would want to add to your journey or your outlook um, going forward and um, that you would want to share with our listeners? I think one thing I'd want to share is when when you have chronic health issues, again, it's sometimes easy to feel like it, it's not just that it's your fault, but that there's something wrong with you, um, and that you're inherently wrong or, that, or bad or, or something like that. And I think it's important to remember that we truly are knit together in our mother's womb, that we, we truly are created this way for a purpose. And, and yes, that can seem kind of harsh when you think, well, did God want me to suffer? Well, no, but God does allow us 
to walk through all of this because of the other purposes that he has, because of the other people and situations in our life that we will go through um, and the other people that we will touch and encourage and and minister to. Um, and I and I bring up that verse in particular, the knit together in your mother's womb, because with my condition, Ehlers-Danlos, the connective tissue is formed in the womb. That's when those building blocks are put together. So mine were put together a, a different way, making me a little bit looser. And um, when I got pregnant with my third child, she she was not expected. Um, she was a very unplanned but wonderful miracle. And I say miracle because without going into detail, there were some complications of the pregnancy, very rare ones that had never even happened in the history of that medical facility I attended. Um, but because my tissues are looser, because I am stretchier, they were able to save her life. And, and she's here today because of how I am, because of how I was knit together in the mother's womb. And I, you know, she's still little. I don't know what the Lord has for her, but I know he's got some sort of purpose because she would not be here if it weren't for the way that he made me. And so I just like to share that story to encourage everyone that there, the Lord does have his hand on your life. He is guiding you, though it feels like you lose a lot. There's so much more that you're, you're gaining through the process and that you will continue to gain. And, and, and probably a lot that we won't know even until we get to heaven. You know, it's like that illustration of looking at the tapestry and we can only see that underside of all of those strings and it, it looks like a hot mess, but the Lord is the one up top who can see that beautiful picture of what he's weaving. Um, so I just wanted to share that to encourage everyone that, you know, he is there, he is with you, he does have a plan, um, even if you don't see it till heaven. Um, you're not alone and you're not, there's nothing wrong with you. He didn't create you and, and make you something that you shouldn't be. He, he truly does have his hand on your life. What an incredible, powerful testimony about your daughter. And, uh, wow. I mean, I kind of brought, you know, emotion, uh, tears to my eyes just hearing that because, um, it's just something you could never anticipate, you know, and, and a good that you could never see, but like you said, God sees everything from beginning to end. And what a what a faithful testimony to uh, how He works in our lives. And like you said, some we know about, some we don't. And you know, there's just this promise that He'll be with us through everything that we're going through. But we'll kind of we'll end on that note because that's really the theme we're trying to emphasize in this particular interview, this podcast, is that we recognize that the losses that we experience. Um, are, are not just our own and our families and, and our own, and they're very real. And a lot of times people get kind of hung up in that part of their journey of trying to go back and reclaim. And if a person's able to, to get better or get healthier and able to reclaim something they lost, that too is a powerful testimony. Um, but most of our listeners haven't been able to experience that. Most of our, our listeners are people who are living still daily with chronic illness, chronic pain. And it may be that, that God wants them to live faithfully with that. And that's hard to hear. It's hard to accept, especially if you're in an environment and you, you hit on this, Bethany, you know, where people are being told that uh, there's something defective about their faith. If, if they have a chronic illness or chronic pain and, and that's just bad theology. Um, 
I, I don't see how you can thrive spiritually in that environment, uh, especially if you're living with chronic illness or chronic pain. You may have to get into a healthier situation. It, but there's nothing in the Bible that shies away from the um, from the prospect of faithful suffering. Uh, I mean, from beginning to end, there are people, yes, there are people that are mirac- miraculously healed. We praise God for that. But there are many, many examples where that does not happen. And that does not mean God has abandoned you. That means he's doing something in your life through you uh, and through your illness and pain. Um, and yeah, I know you'd rather it just not, it just not happen not be there. That's, that's what we all wanted. Um, but I think there are blessings ahead if we can embrace what has happened and embrace that God is walking with us to be able to move forward. And I, I feel like your story beautifully illustrates that. So Bethany, thank you uh, for being with us on In the Seams. And I want to thank our listeners as well for spending some time with us uh, when, whenever this uh, goes on on air, which will, you know, we're, we're recording this on December 14th. So I think it will be available here in a couple of days. Uh, and as you're listening to this, as the Christmas is, you know, and dead ahead in your sights. And we pray that uh, this will be a time of blessing and time with refreshment with your family. And we know the holidays can be difficult for their own reasons, uh, you know, as well. And, and so, but we hope that the hope that we have in the incarnate, incarnate Christ uh, can be with you uh, and get you through this, this holiday season. Uh, so we'll be back on air sometime next year. I always encourage you to go to brokenamended.org to see uh, when our support groups are, are meeting or if those aren't always up to date, that's, that's my fault. Um, but you can at least see what groups are available when they normally meet and uh, also other resources like our Facebook group and so forth that you can get plugged into and things, including this podcast that you can find there on our website. So we'll sign off with that and wish you a very Merry Christmas. <laughs>